Last week we started the series Broken Heroes. We looked at Gideon. Um, he was the guy that was caught hiding in the wine press. Uh, so, uh, so he was in his little cave when God came to him and said, Hey, mighty hero, you're going to save the entire nation of Israel. Um, we, we saw how God is not afraid of our brokenness and how our brokenness doesn't disqualify us from be, being used in mighty ways by the Lord. Um, Gideon was being kind of cowardly. like He was hiding from his enemies in this wine press, and yet God used him to save an entire nation. All because Gideon just chose, okay, God, in spite of my fears, in spite of my insecurities, in spite of everything that feels true in the moment, I'm just going to obey you and trust you with the results. And God saved the entire nation through him. We're going to look at another person this week who has a uh, a similar struggle with brokenness, but who God used in mighty ways. Um, Esther, how many of you guys know the story of Esther? Have you, have you read the story of Esther, or at least familiar with it? So a handful of you guys. Um, so the rest of y'all will be in for a treat. It's a cool story. So Esther gets an entire book of the Bible devoted to her. So one thing I love about the Bible is how much it uh, honors and values women. So back in that day and age, in that culture... Uh, most of the, the secular culture looked down on women, thought that they were second-class citizens. It, it wasn't like today where we have like all these, these female heroes, like you have Katniss with her bow, Wonder Woman, you have Mother Teresa. Like We have a, a lot of really awesome female heroes that we get to uh, look up to, aspire to be. Like If you want to learn how to shoot a bow and arrow, then you can. I don't know. Um, if you want to love on people in an orphanage in India, um, we just have a lot of heroes that are female that we get to look up to. It wasn't like that back in the olden times. And so one thing I love about the Bible is how much God values and honors women. Um, an entire book of the Bible is devoted to this woman who was a hero to Esther. And so if, if God honors women, if God values women, then we should do the same thing. I'm mainly talking to us, us men in the room. We should be valuing and honoring the women in our lives. I mean, just take, take a quick moment and think, is there any woman in your life, maybe a, a mom or a sister or a friend, is there somebody that, that maybe you have dishonored this week that you need to go just reconcile with? Say, hey, I'm sorry. I got, that was mean to you. I, I did not honor you. If there is, just commit to doing it now because God values the women around us and we as men need to do the same. I need to do a better job of valuing the women around me. Like my, my wife made fun of me this week because uh, she said that I have terrible dance moves. Um, I, was, I was like in the bedroom just dancing to a song. As you can, yeah, be amazed. Be amazed at my dance moves. So she made fun of my dance moves, and I uh, made a rude comment back to her, even though she was probably accurately telling me that I should never dance in front of any human being. But I, I was rude to her, and so I had to go back to her and say, hey, I'm sorry. I was, I was being a jerk. And you're right, I can't dance. So we're going to look at um, some of the... the um, Esther is one of the greatest female heroes in the Bible. We're going to look at her story today and how God really powerfully used her to change an entire nation. Um, Esther was just a, a broken girl. Like she, she wasn't 
super special. She wasn't uh, th- this super uh, religious person or like did all the right things. Like she, she had struggles, but God still used her. Esther felt like she was worthless, yet God still used her. Like, do you feel like you're worthless? Do you feel like you're too weak? Do you feel like you're too sinful? Man, God still wants to use you. God still has plans and purposes for you. If you will just turn to him and trust him and obey what he's calling you to do. So I want you to grab a pen and paper from under your seat. Grab the pen and paper and just write down. Like what, what brokenness do you feel like disqualifies you from being used by God, from knowing God? Is there anything that comes to your mind? If there is, just write it down and keep that in mind as we're thinking through this entire story today. It could be a sin struggle. It could be like a a family heritage. It could be a personality uh, shortcoming. Whatever it is, just write it down. One of my main goals for you guys here today is to, to leave here knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you have a purpose in this generation. I think a lot of times we can feel like, like we're just kind of floating through life, like there's, there's no aim, there's no purpose, like God isn't really doing anything in our lives. But I love what Acts 13, 36 says about David, King David. It says, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he died. When Calen serves his purpose in this generation, I will die. When Tim serves his purpose in this generation, he will die. When Zoe serves her purpose in this generation, when each of you guys serve God's purpose in your life in this generation, then you'll just get to go be with him forever. If you know him, if he's your Lord and Savior, you get to go be with him forever. But you have a purpose in this generation, this specific generation. You were not born in the 2000s by chance, right? God is is not surprised that you came into being in this day and age. He has a specific purpose for each and every one of you guys in this generation, in your generation. So, I hope you walk out of here knowing that, because that's what God says. Even when we don't see the purpose, God has one for us. We're going to look at Esther today, uh, a young woman who really didn't see her purpose, didn't realize what God was doing in her life until it was almost too late, but yet she chose to trust and obey God, and God used her in mighty, mighty ways. This is... um, after Noah, after Moses, after King David, after Solomon, this uh, story happens after the Israelites have been exiled into uh, Babylon and they're under the reign of King Xerxes. So King Xerxes is this handsome looking fellow right here, and he was the king of this giant empire, like huge, huge empire. One night he's throwing a party with his friends and he asks his queen, Queen Vashti, to come entertain them. So he, he says, hey, my queen's just doing nothing tonight. We're having a party. Uh, queen Vashti, come and just entertain us. Like dance for us or show us some magic tricks or whatever you do. Come entertain us. Well, Vashti's having none of it. She's like, mm-mm, not tonight. And so she says, no, I'm not going to come. I'm going to keep sleeping or I'm going to 
do my nails or whatever she was doing that night. She didn't want to come in front of the king. And so the king gets upset and he says, fine, if you don't want to come, no sweat off my back, you're out of the kingdom. Like, you're no longer my queen. He just, he just leaves her in the dark because she didn't come and entertain them that one night. And so they then begin a search for a new queen. And so they're searching all the land for these young women. And they put on like this talent show for all the young ladies to come and see, okay, which one does the king like the most? And one of those young ladies is Esther. So Esther was orphaned at a young age. Both her parents died. And she was taken into the care of her cousin named Mordecai. Because Mordecai was this older man, took his cousin under his wing and, and kind of fathered her as, as uh, she was raised up. So they're in this family together, but uh, Esther becomes one of the, the ladies that um, kind of goes in for, for tryouts to be the queen. And King Xerxes loves her. Like he's impressed with her. He likes her. And so he says, all right, Esther, you're going to be my queen. So she becomes queen of this entire giant empire. All because she just went before the king and said, hey, I'm, I'm here. Well, King Xerxes' right-hand man is a guy named Haman. This is a, a wicked, wicked man. He, he has uh, some beef with cousin Mordecai. Cousin Mordecai doesn't bow down to Haman like, like Haman wants him to. And, and Mordecai and Esther, they're Jews. And so Haman recognizes, hey, this, this Jewish guy, Mordecai, doesn't submit to me, doesn't bow down to me. So, you know what? What, what would a sane person do? Like, a sane person would be like, okay, you, you didn't bow down to me, uh, I don't know, no food for a month. Or you didn't bow, bow down to me, I'm going to take your house away. No, Haman is insane and evil and wicked. He says, okay, Mordecai, you're, you're a Jew, right? How about we just murder all the Jews in the world? Like, what? What? wickedness is that, that that is his first reaction. That's his first response. He says, I'm just going to, let's commit genocide. Why not? Like, what a, a wicked, wicked, he's basically like the Hitler of his day. He just said, I don't like these people, so I'm going to murder them all. Well, Mordecai catches wind of, of this evil plot to, to kill all the Jews. So Mordecai goes to Esther. He says, hey, Esther, just, just a heads up, remember, you're a Jew, I'm a Jew, our families are Jews. Oh, by the way, there's this plot to murder every single Jew in the land, including us. Um, just wanted you to know about that, because you're really close with the king, like you, I don't know, are together fairly often. Can you do something about this? Mordecai's saying, Esther, help, help me. Like, you're in a place of, of authority, you're in a place of power, help me. And so he goes before uh, Esther and tells her this. Well, Esther responds like this. After she learns of the genocide of millions and millions of her people, Esther 4.11, she responds, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned... The king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. Now, at first, like, 
that response kind of makes sense. Like, if I'm in her shoes, I'm like, okay, yeah, like, I don't want to die. And I don't know if he's going to welcome me in or if he's going to uh, just lop off my head on the spot. And so I don't know if I'm in this, Mordecai. But if you, you dig down deeper to the heart of this, Esther just learned about a genocide of her people. Like millions and millions of people's lives are at stake. And Mordecai says, Esther, you can do something about this. You have a chance to change the king's mind. And Esther's like, not my problem. I'm, I'm queen. Like, I'm safe. Don't you, don't you know that? Like, I, I get grapes fed to me. I'm safe. I have palm leaves fanned on me day and night. I, I don't have to worry about this. She responds in just, like, complete selfishness. She's not thinking about the millions of her people. She's not thinking about her own flesh and blood, Mordecai, and his life. She's just thinking about herself. She says, it's not my problem. I'll die if I go in. Profound, profound selfishness. And, and if we're being honest, I struggle with profound selfishness. Do any of you guys struggle with selfishness? Like it, when, when you're walking uh, up to the, the line at school, are you trying to be first and like elbow everybody out of the way? Are you letting people go ahead of you? When, when there's a, a need that your friend has, do you go out of your way to help them? Or you're like, not my problem. When somebody needs prayer or, or encouragement, do you, do you go to them quickly and pray for them? Encourage them to, to trust God? And to, that, it'll, that God's sovereign and in control? Or you're just like, not my problem. I way too often fall into the camp of, not my problem. But yet, God looks at this selfishness that she has, and he says, look, Esther, you don't realize why you're there. And oftentimes we struggle with selfishness because we don't realize our purpose. Like, if, if you knew that your purpose at school was to be on mission for God to love the other students so that they would see the love of Christ and come to know him forever, would that change your actions? If you saw your mission on your sports team as not being the best and, and having everybody praise your name for, for catching the ball or, or spiking the ball, but that your mission there was to lead others to Jesus, to encourage people when they felt down, to give them hope and future through Christ, would that change how you responded to them? Man, if, if I see myself as on mission all the time, then it'll change how I see myself. But I, I have to see the purpose. I have to see my purpose, and we have to see God's purpose in where we are today. Do you guys realize that just because you uh, were either born in or live in, in 2018, the Woodland Spring, Tomball, North Houston area, you realize that just because of where you live and when you were born in the location you're at, that you have won the lottery of life? Like you're, yes, that guy, yes. That's how we should all feel. Like God has, has for whatever reason, in his sovereignty, has decided that I would not be born in sub-Sahara Africa, 
or in, in communist Russia, but that I would be born in Houston, Texas to live here for a reason. He has a purpose in it, just like he has a purpose in the people being born in sub-Saharan Africa or in Russia. Like, God has not allowed you to be born where you are, when you are, by accident. There's purpose in that. But when we don't press into our purpose, when we don't press into uh, what God has, has given us to be used for the benefit of others, when we just hoard the blessings that we've been given, they begin to rot. Hoarded blessings just rot in our hands. God has given us everything so that we can pass it on to others. It's all about stewardship. You guys, just a practical example, just because we are born or we live in the Woodlands, Spring, Tomball, North Houston, Texas in November 18th, 2018, that giving tree should be empty. Like we, we have the resources to do it. We have the resources to bless that, that orphanage over there. Are we going to, to use what God has given us to bless other people and to show other people the love of Christ? Or are we just going to hoard it ourselves and say, not my problem? Guys, I'm, I am the chief of sinners in this. Don't hear me condemning you. I struggle with this so much. But if we're going to see God's purpose fulfilled in our lives, then we have to start looking at ourselves on mission for him. Okay, God, what is your purpose here? What do you want to do here? Not, not what, what does Kalen want in this situation, but God, what do you want? And when we can do that, we will start to experience all the blessings that he has in it. So Esther responds to Mordecai and says, not my problem. Well, Mordecai responds back, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, that you alone of all Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have not come to your royal position for such a time as this. I love that line. Who knows that you have not come to your royal position position for such a time as this who knows if you have not decided that you're going to live and dwell in this area in this this place in time for such a time as this what is God wanting to do in you each of you has a purpose in this generation that he wants to fulfill in you question is will we receive that call and walk it out, or will we stiff arm him? So Mordecai reminds her, he says, hey, Esther, A, this affects you too. I don't know if you know this or not, but you are Jewish as well. Do you think you're really going to escape this genocide? Like you're in the most visible position in the entire land. Do you think that people aren't going to recognize that, hey, isn't, isn't the queen Jewish as well? Yeah, she should die too. Mordecai wisely says, hey, don't think that you're going to escape this. But then he, he reminds her of the most important part, her purpose. He reminds her, hey, God has a purpose in you being queen. Do you think that this is all an accident? Do you think that, that this young Jewish woman, you, became queen by chance? 
No, God was sovereign over that, and he has a, a profound purpose in the place that you are. He reminds her that her queenship, her power, her authority, her resources are all a stewardship. She was given those things so that she could then use them to bless other people. And in this situation, so that she could use them to save the lives of millions and millions of people. So do you recognize that your position on your sports team is a stewardship? Your position in your school, in your classes, your position with your friend group, the influence that you have over them, your position in student ministry and the influence you have here, your role in your family, all of it is a stewardship. How are we going to use the things that God has given us for his purposes in our lives? Do you recognize that even your sin struggles have purposes in them? This took me so long to figure out. And sometimes I don't even believe it, but I, I, I see the truth in it. And I'm like, oh man, I need to believe this because it's true. Our sin struggles have purposes in them. Many of you guys know that I grew up with a heavy porn addiction, a very serious addiction that I just felt helpless again. Like, like man, God, I can't get through this. There's no way I can get through this. But by God's grace and mercy, he allowed me to, to find uh, freedom and victory there. And do you know how many times I get to use that struggle of mine for God's purposes? And so many of the students here in the student ministry, so many adults here in Woods Edge, so many adults and, and people around me struggle with the same thing. That, that Then I'm able to enter into their situation and say, hey, I know how hard that struggle is. I know it's painful. I know it is overwhelming. But you can find hope in Christ. If you will just give your heart to seeking him with all that you have, you give your affections over to him, and you'll start praying for a hatred for this sin, I promise you he will change your heart. Man, I've been able to use my story of brokenness in that area time after time again to encourage, to lift others up, to give them hope in Jesus. Just like God has used my brokenness to give hope to other people, God wants to do the same thing with your brokenness. He doesn't want you to, to stay in your sin because you know, you know better than anyone how, how much it hurts you, how, how painful it is. God doesn't want you to stay in that, but he wants to work everything together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He wants to take your brokenness, your, your struggles, your addiction. He wants to use them for his kingdom and his purposes. So maybe just take your, take your pen and paper and write down, okay, what is that, that profound brokenness that you feel like God could never use? And just write it down. Maybe just quietly to yourself say, God, how do you want, me, how do you want to use my brokenness? to help others, to affect change in my sphere of influence, at school, in church, with my friends, at home. Whatever your brokenness is, and we all have it, whatever it is, 
God can work it all together for your good, for other people's good, for his kingdom. If we will just give it over to him, if we'll choose to start walking in obedience rather than in the bondage of our brokenness. We'll choose to stop accepting our brokenness as, okay, I, I'm just, I'm fine here. Like, this is just my destiny the rest of my life. And we'll start fighting against it by God's grace, and we'll find freedom there. God can use our brokenness in profound, profound ways to change the lives of the people around you. So Esther finally begins to see, okay, God, you have purpose in this. You have called me to this for, for a specific reason, or a specific time. And she responds, she says, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. I love this line. And if I perish, then I perish. Esther decides, okay, God has, has called me to this for a reason. She begins to see her purpose in her situation, and she begins to, to trust, okay, God, you have me here for a reason. I think this is it. I'm just going to have to take a step of faith to obey. You have to take a step of faith to go in front of the king, and she just entrusts herself to God's sovereignty. Like, okay, God, if, if you want me to do this, then you're going to have to come through. All Esther was called to do was step before the king. All she had to do was enter into the king's presence on behalf of other people. All we need to do so often is enter our king's presence on behalf of the people around us. When was the last time that we gave ourselves to praying for other people instead of our own needs? When was the last time that we, we searched out people that were hurting and broken that we could pray for, we could enter into the king's presence on their behalf? As a, again, don't hear condemnation. I am the chief of sinners here. But if we're going to experience the joy and the happiness and the fulfillment and everything that God has for us, then we need to become a people that are willing to enter into the king's presence on behalf of the people around us. And trust that, that prayer is a powerful, powerful thing. But guys, remember that, that Queen Vashti refused to enter the king's presence. And she... She lost her opportunity. If we won't enter into the king's presence, what, what opportunities do we miss out on? What opportunities do we lose out on? Man, I, I'm really excited to share my story with you. I have a, a personal uh, story of whenever I decided not to enter into the king's presence. And instead, I was more like Vashti in this story than Esther. I used to play flag football with a group of guys, and we would play uh, every few months or so. We would get together, and we would um, just have a good time. We would throw the football around and tackle each other and all that fun stuff. Well, it's one Saturday, I think it was. It was like, no, it was Easter. It was Good Friday. That's what it was. It was Good Friday. 
And we decided to get together and play football on Good Friday. I don't know, is that sacrilegious? I don't know. But we decided anyways, okay, we're going to get together and play some football, just like we always do. Well, I get there, and I'm, I'm like stretching, because this is how I stretch. That's as far as I can go, actually. Um, but I'm stretching, and I'm getting loose, and while I'm stretching, I hear God say to me, Caleb, gather everybody together and pray for them. And I, I knew God was speaking to me, and I was like, God, no, 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 no. I don't want to be that guy. Like, I don't want to be that guy. You, you, I don't want to be awkward. You're like, hey, guys, can we pray for this, this pickup game of football that we're about to play? And so I just, I'm like, no, that, that wasn't God. That was the burrito I had last night. That was gas. That wasn't God. So I keep stretching. I'm stretching, and I hear God again. Just clearly, you need to pray for them. It's like that, that conviction in my spirit, I know that God is telling me that, that we need to gather together and pray. What do I do? No. 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 I don't want to. I don't want to be that guy. It, this was two years ago. I am a pastor at this time. I already am that guy, right? Like, I, I get paid to be that guy, and yet in this moment, I didn't want to walk in the calling and the purpose that God had me in. And so I ignore him again, and we start playing. We're having a grand old time, just a grand old time. Well, two friends, these guys have known each other for years. They're covering each other. One's the receiver, one's the defender, and they run out, and they're getting a little physical. And so they, the guy in front is running, and he turns, and he just throws an elbow right in the other guy's stomach. And his, his close friend, his old friend's stomach, the guy just drops to his knees, and instead of like, you know, guys, can we just stop? I, I'm gasping for breath here. Instead of doing that, he goes to his knees and then rises right up, ready for a fist fight. Like, these guys are close friends, and the, his immediate reaction was, oh, that hurt. I'm going to sock your face. Like, that, that was, it went from zero to 100 real quick. And so, they end up getting separated. Um, they, they talk it out a little, but the guy's like, it's kind of, he's kind of pouting a little. And he said, that's it, I'm out of here, I'm leaving. This is like the fourth play of the game. And he's just out of here, he's done. These two friends that, that, that love each other, that are, are, are buds, they're having this ridiculous fight, all because someone accidentally threw an elbow. Like, and as he's walking off the field, I remember watching him and just thinking, I wonder what would have happened if I would have prayed. Maybe, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Like maybe God wanted me to pray so that these two friends wouldn't have this conflict with each other. And I hear God tell me again, it's not too late. Gather them together and pray. And what do I do being the spiritual pastor I am? No! No, God! I don't want to! I already messed it up. I don't want to do it. And so I ignore him again. And so we go to the next play. We, we started the game again. Gather them together and pray. No, I don't want to. I don't want to embarrass myself, God. We keep playing. We're having a, a great time. 
just having fun together. The game is about to end. We decide, hey, why don't we play, I don't know, for three more minutes. Let's just play three more minutes, and then we'll be done. When we'll be done, we'll go hang out with our families on Good Friday. It'll be great. And so the last play of the game, literally the last play of the game, I am covering this dude. He is the receiver. I am the defender. He takes off. He's running. And I'm right behind him. Like from, from here to this rock, I'm, I'm on him. Like there's no way he's catching anything because I'm on him. I'm just going to crush it. Well, he decides, as I am right behind him and he's running, that he's going to stop and twist and go the other direction. What he does, as my face is right behind him, he stops and twists right into my mouth. I, and it, it was not like a, a casual twisting. This dude was running full speed and then just goes... Immediate blood just dripping from my mouth. And I go to my knees because I don't know what to do with this pool of blood in my mouth. And I'm feeling in my mouth. I'm like, oh no. Oh no. I've lost a tooth. And this is me. (laughs) Playing flag football. Lost a tooth. And I'm searching for it on the ground, and and the whole time I'm thinking, man, everybody knew I was already a hillbilly, but now they know for sure. Now I look the part. And so I'm on the ground looking in the grass for my tooth. Have have you ever looked in the ground for a tooth? Look at you guys. Y'all have lost tooth too. Oh, animal tooth. That doesn't count. I'm looking for my tooth, and I find it, and I pick it up. And just blood is just pulling out of my mouth. And so I look like a vampire to these guys. Like, everyone around me has just stopped. And they're like, you, you okay? Well, that was, that was crazy. I'm holding my tooth in my hand. I, I don't know what to do. Like, I've, I've never lost a tooth before. And so the, the closest thing I can find that I, I think is smart in the moment is I have uh, my water bottle. And so I open it up and I put my tooth in. I'm like, I, I don't know, to preserve it. In those moments, my, my brain just isn't working. I'm like, hey, this will keep it safe. And so I put it in the water bottle. And I'm like, uh, hey, guys, I'd love to keep playing, but I'm falling apart. I'm leaving. So I take off. I get in my car. And as I'm in the car, I'm like, wait, how do you stop blood? You apply direct pressure, Right? You apply direct pressure, because I'm just, I'm pulling, like I'm driving, and I can't, I can't get the blood to stop. And so I'm, I'm sitting in my car, trying not to bleed all over my floor and my seats and myself. I'm like, direct pressure, I still have my tooth. And so I open up my water bottle, and I pour the water out the window, and I get my tooth in my hands, Direct pressure. We're going for it. How many of you guys have seen a tooth without a mouth? They're like that long. Like your teeth end way up here. And so I, I'm, I'm going to save myself from bleeding out. I shove the tooth back into the hole. I mean, just, just that. You see that picture? Like if you want to gag some more. That picture, that, you know, that, that hole of flesh. 
it goes all the way up in here. And so I'm just shoving it back in, like trying to work it. And I don't know. Is that what you're supposed to do? Maybe. Probably not. But that's what I'm doing in the moment because it feels like, like okay, that's, that's the smartest thing to do. And so this is Good Friday, right? This is Good I have lost a tooth on Good Friday. What dentist is open on Good Friday? The heathen ones. Only the heathen. Like, this is Good Friday. Everyone's closed down shop. And so all of the dentists around me are closed. I call like 14 different dentists, and none of them are open. And so I end up having to drive 45 minutes out into Conroe just to find a dentist that can put my tooth back in before it's too late. It's like, I don't know how that works. I guess you got to do it quickly or else it dies. So we get to the dentist office, and I'm just there like a bloody mess. And he, because I have my tooth back in, so I look normal, just bloody. I'm like, hey, I, I lost my tooth, but I shoved it back in. Is that what I was supposed to do? It's like, come with me, come with me. And so we go back into the, the little seat area where I lay down, and he takes my tooth out. And apparently, okay, so just like um, word to the wise, if you ever lose a tooth, that was the right thing to do. You're supposed to shove it back in because it preserves the roots, right? I wouldn't have known that. I was just trying to stop my bleeding, but I preserved the roots. And so you, you see that tooth right there? That guy? That's the same tooth. Yeah, yeah, my tooth. It was back. He put some cement on there or whatever they do, super glue, silly putty, and put it back in. And it's good-ish. It's good to go. Only $1,500 later in medical bills. Mm-hmm. Yep. $1,500 is a lot of money that I had to pay because of my tooth. Why did I really have to pay that? I think it's because I didn't pray. God asked me, told me, called me four or five different times that day, gather everybody together and pray. Gather everybody together and pray. Gather everybody together and pray. And in my selfishness, in my arrogance, I said, God, I'm good. No thanks. So often we miss out on the good that is available to us because we don't take a step of faith and obey what God has called us to. And on the flip side, we get to experience the consequences of disobeying our Father, right? If I would have prayed, I guarantee you that wouldn't have happened because it, it would have pushed back our game like four or five minutes. We would have started that day with prayer. Those two friends wouldn't have, have wanted to punch each other in the mouth. We wouldn't have been playing at that exact time. I probably wouldn't have been covering that exact guy as he did his stupid flip into my face. All because I disobeyed what God had called me to do. As if, if Esther had said no to what God had called her to, what would the consequences of that be? Man, millions and millions of lives would have been lost, just murdered, snuffed out like that. 
But not only that, in her own life, think about the, the shame and the regret that she would experience for the rest of her days, knowing that she had an opportunity to go before the king on behalf of the people around her, her people, and she didn't. And as a result, they all died. There is always blessing on the other side of obeying God and what he's calling us to. There's always consequences to not obeying him. And God in his loving father ways is able to work all those together for our good. God has worked this, my two story, together for my good so that you guys can know, hey, when God asks you to do something, then do it. God works it all together for our good, but it doesn't mean we don't experience the consequences in the moment. Esther, all she had to do was take a step of faith on behalf of other people. Step outside of her selfishness on behalf of the people around her. I was more like the Vashti, right? God called me to do this, and I was like, pass, I'm good, I'm, I'm good. What are some more examples of some people that acted more like Esther, the heroes in this situation, than Vashti? Well, to, to uh, flip side of my story, so don't, just newsflash, don't be like this guy. What are some people that, that led the way this week in walking out boldness and a step of faith? Well, this Wednesday night, we were at the prayer service. How many of you guys were at the prayer service? It was a powerful night of worship. Like, I had a small group leader come up to me afterwards and say, man, that was the most powerful worship I have experienced in I can't remember when. It was a, a moving, deep, powerful experience. And then we had Jeff Wells, the senior pastor of the church, came to Justin afterwards and he said, hey, when can you guys come back? That was amazing. And then the worship bands, like all the, the professional musician, the worship pastors, like... They came to us afterwards and they said, hey, I love having the students here. When can y'all come back? Can we do this like every month? And it was a powerful night of worship. You guys can see that. There's a, a bunch of you guys here. Well, there was three students that night that really led out. And in spite of probably some fear and insecurity, of getting in front of hundreds of adults and, and just taking a step of faith and saying, okay, God, you have given me this opportunity and you have put me here for a purpose. I'm just going to own it. They were able to lead the adults in what it meant to trust God, to worship God. Like I think of, of Allison Dennis. She was in the, the other service, but she got up, and she's 14 years old. She got up in front of hundreds of adults and, and adults and, and pastors and ministry leaders and youth students, like she got up in front of everyone and just prayed with boldness and authority and conviction over marriages. Like she was, she's 14 years old, but she was praying with boldness over these adult marriages and all these old people. Like what boldness to just step out. And then Sam Blue was the other one. Give it up for Sam. He just, he crushed it as he was leading the, the adults in what it looked like to pray with conviction and passion. Like, I'm sure there was some fear there in, in, in Sam beforehand, some nervousness, like, 
man, I don't, I don't know, can, can I do this? But instead of listening to, to some fear, he just took the step of faith and said, you know what, God, you've given me this opportunity. You have, have given me everything I need to do this, and so I'm just going to trust you for the results. And it was powerful, powerful. And then Vicky Gasita, she was up there leading worship. And I don't know if you guys know this, but in the front there's a, what's called a confidence monitor where uh, the lyrics of the song are for the, for the musicians so that if they forget what the lyrics are at one moment, then they can just look at it, okay, yeah, that was it, and then it can go on. The confidence monitor was on the other side of a wave of you students. There was like 150 students in between her and her confidence monitor, and she was leading one of the most difficult lyrically songs that I know of. So will I. If you guys know that song, it is extremely difficult to lead because there are so many different nuances of that song. But instead of because she, she didn't know all the students would be blocking her confidence monitor. Instead of, she could have easily, when she saw that, just looked over at Bailey and said, Bailey, can you, can you take this? Instead of succumbing to her fear, she stepped out in faith and owned it and just crushed it. It was powerful listening to her lead that song and lead us in worship to a song that says, hey, God, if you've done all these amazing things, then so, I can do that in you. So will I. The band can go ahead and start making their way up here. Several of your peers this week have exemplified what it means to be like Esther here. To feel the call of God in the moment. And instead of running from it, like, like I did, Instead of running from what God was calling us to, they owned it. And they, they did such a good job of leading us into what God had for us that night. Each of you is in the same position here today. Maybe not with the prayer service, maybe not in front of a bunch of people, maybe not behind closed doors, whatever, but each of you has a purpose in this generation. Each of you has something that God is calling you to that no one else can accomplish but you. And you have the opportunity to either take that step of faith into the presence of the king in spite of the consequences or you can run from your moment maybe lose a tooth in the process. I want you to pull your pen and paper out from under your seat. Two questions I want you to ask God. The first is that there are people in your life that you know need hope, need Jesus, need encouragement. Just like Esther stepped into the king's presence on the behalf of her people, who is God calling you to step into his presence in prayer on behalf of? Who does God want you to start praying for selflessly?
it is, just write it down. And then what step of faith is God calling you to? How does God want to use you to walk more in your purpose, more in your calling? What is he calling you to do today? Whatever it is, write it down. And then take those things and just write out your prayer to him. Ask him for his help. Ask him for confidence. Whatever's on your heart, just write out your prayer to your father. continue to respond to this morning. You can keep on writing. We have our tithes and offering. We're going to worship. I just want to encourage you guys just give your whole heart to the Lord. Don't hold back. As you do, you'll start to experience more of what God has for you. As you give Him more of your heart, you'll get to experience more of Him and what He has, has called you to be, who He has called you to be. Again, it just takes that step of faith. Okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sing out now. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna lift my hands. I'm just gonna get on my knees. I'm just gonna sit here and pray. Whatever God is calling you to do, just take that step of faith. Don't worry about the people around you. Just what is God calling you to do? I'm gonna pray over us, and then we can continue responding. Jesus, would you? speak to each and every heart here this morning. God, you know exactly how you have designed us, how you have called us. You know exactly the time and place that we live in and work in and go to school in. And you have purposes in all of that. So God, would you help us to see what purposes you have in our lives? Or what do you want us to do today? May we not worry about tomorrow and next year, but what are you calling us to do today? Who are you calling me to pray for today? God, we just ask that you would continue to speak to us as we respond this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to respond together.